0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Last week we had started working through um, the document that uh, the elders are putting together that um, will reflect how we plan to function in the area of deacons. Um, Had some great feedback from people uh, immediately after the service through conversation. Um, And then a bunch of us headed up to um, Atlanta to see Chris and Alex off, and so we were able to continue that discussion over lunch for a lot of people, um, and so that was helpful, um, and then continued to receive some feedback this week from different individuals, um, and then I sought some some additional feedback from people outside of our church, just getting some of their thoughts on some of the things that we're thinking through, and so um, today, want to finish working through that document, but um, this is a second draft now, and so the expectation would be that the second draft is better than the first draft, and so... Taking feedback, we heard last week, trying to incorporate that in um, to do a better job of communication. So if you weren't with us last week, we started off talking about kind of the structure and definition of what a deacon is at Sovereign Hope and what we envision that looking like. We said that the elders of this church are assisted by godly deacon leadership in accordance with the guidelines and patterns established in God's word. And so we see the qualifications in First Timothy three. We see at least delegation, if not implementation of deacons in Acts chapter 6. So we said there was a group of people who were feeling left out, um, and so they chose seven individuals to help make sure that that did not continue to happen, Um, which is why I think this is such an important uh, discussion for us and why I think we need to dedicate several weeks to it, that the implementation of deacons, I believe, is necessary for the continued health of our church as we continue to grow Um, And so we desire as elders to be assisted by godly deacon leadership uh, following the guidelines and patterns established in God's Word. We said last week the deacon body has been entrusted by the church with the care and provision of the various and ever-changing needs of this local church through the avenues of serving the corporate body and promoting Christian unity amongst her individual members. The deacons bear the responsibility of sacrificially modeling to the church an attitude of humble service as they seek to protect the elders from removing their focus from their primary roles of ministering to the church through teaching and prayer. So just as a reminder, last week we emphasized to you that Scripture places much more emphasis on the type of individual a deacon is versus what they actually do. Um, The emphasis is placed on the quality of the individual, who they are. So when you look through those qualifications, you see personal character, you see spiritual character being emphasized. There's less clarity concerning the description of their work, what they do. And so we highlighted the fact that deacons help the elders meet needs. They support the elders and they encourage unity. Um, And then we had some discussion about how that uh, definition of what a deacon is allows, we believe, based on scripture. um, It allows for women to serve in that capacity. Um, And we saw some biblical support for that. We saw some historical support for that. Um, how the early church was utilizing women in that role. And then I also shared with you some of the churches that we value from a distance um, and how they're doing that in their church. Um, But what I found in some of the discussion that we had last week and some of the feedback that I received, that there's still maybe a a confusion and a question about what a deacon actually does and how they're distinguished from a regular church member. And so what I did is I went back and put into uh, the document a disclaimer Um, And what I mean by that is just a clarification about what we mean. So this says the deacons of Sovereign Hope Church are individuals who set an example of service by leading or overseeing areas of ministry while also collaborating together to assist the elders in the area of finances and member care. So there's two things there that are going on. The deacons Set an example by how they serve in different areas of ministry at times leading and overseeing different areas of ministry. But then they also collaborate with the other deacons to assist the elders in the area of finances and member care. A member is not required to be a deacon in order to lead, oversee or serve in specific ministries. Okay, so right now, Melissa oversees some of our hospitality ministries. She oversees. Um, meals when people are pregnant and they come home from the hospital she, ma- she coordinates to make sure that happens. She coordinates it to make sure that that it happens if someone 's um, in the hospital for other reasons. She also makes sure that baby showers are planned for our women that are having children. She also oversees our kids' class and the organization and the scheduling of our teachers, but she could do those things without being a deacon because we also have uh, Jessica who oversees the policies in our nursery sarah oversees the scheduling of our nursery workers and they are not deacons so what we're saying is that as a deacon they do these type of things but you don't have to be a deacon to serve in these capacities and to be a part of these ministries so in no way if someone is not a deacon does it prohibit them from really doing anything in our church in the area of service the difference is And you see here at the bottom, so deacons simply model that type of service, which is made available to all members. The distinction between a deacon and a member lies in the collaborating effort with other deacons to assist the elders in the area of finances and member care. So the big difference would be we don't invite Jessica. We don't invite Sarah to our deacon meetings where the deacons help develop the budget with the elders, where they do a lot of the legwork to get information about how Um, our lease agreement may go up because we're at the end of a lease and we have to get the lease signed. Um, Those type of things fall upon the deacons, which are beyond their regular areas of service. Okay, so Melissa helps with showers, but then we bring her in quarterly to help with the budget and to help with other long-term type decisions that maybe we want some additional wisdom as elders before making those decisions and how they affect the church. Okay, so I wanted to make sure that we're clear. Nobody here would be withheld from doing some type of ministry within this church because they're not a deacon, okay? The deacons do those things, but we have regular members that do similar things. The difference is is that we bring the deacons in for specialized situations where the elders want to lean on their wisdom, get insight and feedback, and then sometimes task them with things outside their normal areas of service. So just to kind of clarify... Why somebody like Jessica could serve in multiple capacities and not be a deacon, and yet we call Melissa a deacon because she's brought in for different different things outside of her area of ministry. So when we were working through the pay for um, people that preach on a Sunday morning, Chris, Melissa, and Ben went to work on that. They started calling other churches. What do you guys pay for a guest speaker that preaches on a Sunday morning? We want to incorporate this into our budget. And so they did all of that. That's outside of what Melissa would normally do with showers and and overseeing the kids ministry. Okay, so I think that's an important clarification um, in our discussion. All right. We then talked about qualifications of a deacon and we talked about, obviously, relying heavily upon what Scripture says in First Timothy three. And then also taking some of the qualities mentioned in Acts chapter six. We want individuals who meet those guidelines, who meet that criteria. Um, individuals that desire to be deacons obviously ought to pour themselves into the word and identify the qualifications and pursue those qualifications as they grow up into maturity as a as a um, growing and thriving believer in Christ. All right? And then we specified a couple of things unique to this church. First of all, we said that we want, for a minimum, we want people to have been here actively involved in Sovereign Hope for at least one year, Um, that we didn't want to move towards implementing somebody as a deacon if they had been here any less than a year. Now, just because you've been here a year doesn't automatically mean that you're ready to be a deacon here. But we want to, again, not box ourselves too much into what this document says. And so if we had somebody who was coming, who was mature in the faith, had been an elder or a deacon for years at a previous church, relocates here, After a year of being active here at Sovereign Hope, it may make sense to incorporate them as a deacon. We may really want to rely upon their wisdom and move them into that position. We don't have to, but we at least can based on what we're saying in the document. We're not boxing ourselves too much in. You have somebody who's new to the faith that comes in. It may be several years before they grow themselves up enough to really be qualified to sit in that capacity. Okay? Um, So we said that you had to be here a year. We said that for this church, we were going to put a minimum age of 21. Again, not that every 21-year-old is now eligible and qualified to be a deacon, but we at least admitted that somebody could graduate high school, go off to college, pursue a ministry degree, spend four years at a Bible college, have a lot of wisdom. Uh, We we talked last week, too. They may have uh, been on their own long enough to show that they know how to manage their household well, even as a single individual but especially someone who gets married while they're in Bible school, comes and join our church, they've been here a year, um, it may make sense to move them into that position. Um, doesn't mean that they automatically get to be a deacon, but it at least is a situation that we said as elders, based on some of your feedback, we could envision this being a possibility, that somebody could be 21, could have been here a year, could have a lot of the knowledge and the background and the maturity that would, uh, that would allow it to make sense for that. Okay. Then we began our discussion about, um, so we called those standards. Then we talked about some of the preferences that we have for our church in regards to deacons. We said we want our male deacons to at least be willing to serve as small group leaders. That we're at a point right now where we know some of our small groups are too big based on child care and just uh, population of that group meeting in, a, in one location. It becomes challenging and difficult to produce the type of community the type of environment that we want because it's overloaded. So we recognize we need to expand our small group ministry. I think we shared a little bit last week. We'd love to do that to where every, every small group is led by an elder. Um, at this point, it's just not possible. Um, and based on the length that it takes to initiate elder uh, desires and then become an elder, we're still looking at a year or two before we could even have someone serving in the capacity of an elder. So we kind of tweaked our vision and said, okay, we at least want leadership leading our groups. If it can't be an elder, then a deacon should meet the similar qualifications that we would need to lead a group. Because they're not teaching, um, they are facilitating the discussion. And for those that aren't small group leaders, you're not aware, I send all the material to our small group leaders. I tell them exactly what I want us to talk about and kind of give guidance on where I want the night to end based on that discussion. So there's a lot of guidance provided so that it's not just individuals kind of teaching and doing what they want to do. Um, So we were asking that our male deacons at least be willing, even if they're not asked at the immediate time, they're at least willing to be a small group facilitator. Um, And so then we started talking about specifically what it looks like for women deacons to be um, implemented here at our church. Um, Told you that again, this is something that we're very new and fresh with and so welcomed your feedback got a lot of great feedback so we went back and tweaked this statement and we may not even end up putting this actually in written form but i want you to see it because when we get to the point where we're asking you for feedback on who should be deacons we want you to kind of know the direction to be thinking when you're even thinking about who should be a deacon here at our church okay so After tweaking and and working through it, here's what we came up with, at least as a statement that I think reflected what I was trying to say last week. All right. In an effort to support the biblical model of male leadership within the home and to avoid any perception of undermining the husband's role in leading the family in spiritual matters, the official office of deacon is reserved for men, married or single, single women, or women married to husbands who are not members of Sovereign Hope Church. Women married to believing husbands within Sovereign Hope Church are not considered for the official role of deacon as they are encouraged to complement their husband in his pursuit of the role of deacon. So essentially, we were saying we did not want a husband and wife to, in tandem, be deacons here at this church. We didn't want to overwhelm their family. Um, and so we were leaning more towards uh, a single woman serving in that capacity. But we also recognize that there's uh, at least discussion by Paul that there are going to be people in your church that come who are married to an unbelieving spouse, and they are encouraged to stay with that unbelieving spouse. And so we kind of wrote that back in as well. Um, Women who are married to husbands who are not members of Sovereign Hope being eligible for that. Um, And then the disclaimer here being, let's say somebody just really stands out to you, a married woman, that you would say, that person makes sense to be a deacon at Sovereign Hope. Then what we were saying was that you should you should think in terms of their husband being the deacon and them serving alongside of them. Okay, so worked really hard on trying to tweak this statement to say what was in our hearts as elders. Um, but I told you last week we weren't married to this and honestly got done with this yesterday and was like, okay, great, that's done with. And then late last night was like, I think I just don't, don't like it anymore. Like I, I don't think that I necessarily agree with it. I don't know that I'm confident that this is the best thing for our church, and some of that came from clarifying what a deacon does. So, what I realize is that um, take for example Ben, because he's the only married deacon right now. Andrea does all of the purchasing for our church, right? So we kind of tasked her with that 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 uh, duty. So. Anything that we need with this church, anytime we have an event that involves food, Andrea does all the purchasing. So she's going to Sam's, she's purchasing those things. What we realize is that there's going to be more than likely situations where the husband is serving as the official deacon, but the wife is doing a lot of service alongside of him to where calling her a deacon would not really add any additional stress to the family because all we're talking about is her now being a part of four meetings a year. Um, because we would not limit uh, the wife of a deacon from doing ministry, because we said that's something that members do, not just deacons. Does that make sense? So what we realize is that uh, Marcus and Renee could be serving, and Marcus could be a deacon, and Renee could be uh, potentially picking up some of the duties that Melissa leaves behind when she moves to Uganda. The only thing we're saying is that we're not giving her an official title, and and I couldn't really come up with a good reason anymore as to why we wouldn't. because we're not adding any additional stress to her family if we're talking about her meeting four times a year because we meet quarterly with our deacons. Um, And so kind of went back and was willing to scratch this if everybody thinks that that's the right thing to do. Um, And so we, again, welcome your feedback. Um, But kind of went back and scratched it and came up with this. In an effort to support the biblical model of male leadership within the home and to avoid any perception of undermining the husband's role in leading the family in spiritual matters, all that's the same, Married women are only considered for the official role of deacon if their husband serves in that capacity as well. Um, I had multiple women come to me after last week to say I would not serve as a deacon if my husband was not serving as a deacon as well. Um, and so that seemed to be the heartbeat of a lot of people. Um, I think that it it allows us to, to keep the heart of what we want, and that's we don't want Any perception, especially from somebody who visits, to see a woman serving in a capacity over her husband. Um, I think that's where we're really struggling with that potential aspect. Um, We don't see any conflict in them potentially serving side by side, realizing that his wife is probably going to be already involved in ministry or seeking to be involved in some of those ministries, especially now being the wife of a deacon. Um, The exception would be the wives of elders who are withheld from serving in the role of deacon simply for the conflict of interest. Um, If we are looking for additional wisdom, God forbid that we haven't already sought it from our wives, you know, already. um, And we certainly don't want it to be a perception that a couple of families are solely responsible for this church. So we want to increase our wisdom by bringing on more people, not just naming our wives as deacons. Um, we also felt like in the situation where you might have, um, an individual whose spouse was not a member of our church, husband or, or male or female, because we kind of flipped it and we said, okay, let's say, uh, let's say Kyle was coming to our church faithfully and regularly, but Lydia was a non-believer and stayed at home. Let's say we had the other situation where Renee was coming regularly and her husband, Marcus, was at home because he was not a believer. One fear that we had is that we continue to drive a stake in a division between that spouse wanting to be a part of the church and coming to Christ. If their spouse is in leadership, because now I'm coming to a church where the standard of what I'm supposed to be is really high because my spouse has been serving in a position of leadership we weren't sure what that would potentially do to that relationship. Because Paul says, you know, do whatever you can to win that spouse to Christ. And so we really felt like that that becomes that individual's ministry. um, And we weren't sure if that would potentially hinder that ministry by increasing their involvement here with official titles and official roles. Um, Thoughts on those two statements? Feedback that you can give me based on what you're thinking? Because again... I'd love to be able to go to Scripture and say, this is what it's supposed to look like, and it's just not there. And so we're forced to, to write some things to guide our church based on what we see in Scripture from a, from a heart and an attitude and a mindset. But to put it specifically here for this church, we're kind of left to the Spirit's guidance and the wisdom of other people. And so we certainly welcome any wisdom you might have on these two statements after you've had a week to think about it. So anybody have any feedback or thoughts that you want to share? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Question: um, in terms of the deacon side is there any uh, voting or anything like that and the reason I ask is because when you talk about conflict of interest or a certain small number of families or whatever if there's four deacons and one's a husband and the other one his wife they're representing 50% of the deacon block mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and that's maybe obviously the well, there could be conflict with then- it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, so we'll get into it a little bit. Um, as far as authority goes, the deacons are simply there to provide wisdom and information to the elders. The authority still lies with the elders for all decision-making. Um, one, to eliminate, again, the role of the woman being in a leadership capacity where she's making spiritual decisions for the church, specifically for the men of the church. They're simply there to provide wisdom and guidance as the elders ask for it. But ultimately, they don't play a role in voting in the guidance of the church. Is kind of how it's set up, and that's towards the end of it. Okay. Yeah. I guess for me, being that I'm a member and my husband is not attend, 10, um, I kind of agree with the part where I wouldn't become a deacon in the fact that if, hopefully when my husband does start attending, then there is... That shift already, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, there is an over, right? Know, his, his that right, that makes sense. Yeah, just straight off the top. So I feel like, for me personally, I like the idea of it. Okay. That would, because like, if when he does come, I don't want him to feel undermined underbelly. <laughs> yeah, because it, it could be a tough, a tough act to follow. For any spouse to come in and say, "Okay, I'm I'm new here," and maybe even if they're just maybe they're not a believer yet, they just agree finally to come and visit, it could potentially be a tough act for a spouse to follow if they see their spouse kind of as a a big important part in, in the church. To think, I don't know if I can if I can come in so late in the game. You know, was kind of what we were thinking along that. Yep. Yep. I can appreciate the need to make guidelines so we know what to look for, but I think we shouldn't overlook the value of the Holy Spirit and our wisdom in guiding those decisions because that might be Tara's situation, but that may not be someone else's situation. And and as Tara obviously has wisdom enough to know that that wouldn't be a good move to (coughs) make for your situation. Yet in other situations, they may not have that that limitation. Mm -hmm. So I don't know it would necessarily be wise to say this is the rule. Okay. Okay. That's good. Other thoughts? All right. We can keep taking them, um, but I want to keep moving forward because we we, this is new stuff that we're coming upon now. Um, as far as how we go about implementing deacons, um, kind of a step process that I, I want to share with you. First of all, I do believe that based on the pattern in Acts 6 where the, the disagreement arises about the distribution of the food, that the apostles encouraged the the members, that the people that were becoming a part of the church, to help in the process of picking out the seven. Um, and so I do believe that you as a church member— need to play an important role in who serves as a deacon Um, because you're going to have further insight even into some of the qualifications that we're talking about beyond what the elders might would have. Um, And so in more detail in the document uh, for how we function, the nomination of deacons as the need arises for additional deacons. um, And so this is not we wouldn't initially go forward with every year at this time of the year we do this. Um, because we may not need deacons, new deacons every year. Um, and so essentially, as the need arises, which we believe we're in a position right now where the need has arisen, um, and that's determined by the elders in the current deacon body, the elders call upon the church membership of Sovereign Hope Church to nominate individuals who meet the biblical qualifications for the office of deacon. In those times where it is determined that additional deacons are needed to adequately service the needs of the church, the specific needs are described to help guide the church members in identifying those most qualified to serve in those specific capacities needed by the elders. So if there are specific roles even that need to be um, filled by the new deacons, we would share those with you so that you have a clear picture on who am I even thinking about for this. Right now, we're coming to you and saying we need an additional small group leaders. So that ought to guide your thinking as to who should I nominate for the position of deacon, realizing that the elders are saying we need additional small group leaders. There may be a different time in our church's history where we're coming to you and saying we need this. We would like a deacon to fill it. And so we're asking you to keep that in mind as you make nominations. All right. Um, the, uh, the amount of nominations requested from each individual church member is determined by the elders in the current deacon body based on the immediate needs at that time. So that also will vary. What we're looking at for this time right now is everyone submitting four names for nomination. Um, We want to get to five deacons total, which is what we've stated starting two years ago. We said we wanted to get to five deacons in five years. We would like to add four deacons because we're about to lose Chris and Melissa to Uganda. Um, And so we would like to add additional four to Ben, who would continue to serve as a deacon, giving us five. Um, We would ask you to submit four names, okay? Okay. Um, the step two would be the elder evaluation prior to recommending the installation of new deacons. Those nominated by the church are carefully examined by the elder body to evaluate the individual's level of qualification based on what is prescribed in God's word. So you're going to submit names. We're going to go through those names and evaluate and meet with individuals when needed to determine the qualification of those individuals based on what scripture says. Consideration is also given to the immediate expectations of being a Sovereign Hope Church deacon. Three things. Motivated. Obviously, a person should desire the position of deacon, so you don't have to worry about us throwing your name up for a vote or anything like that and us never asking you if you even want to be a deacon. So part of the elder evaluation process is us talking to individuals and saying, hey, uh, the church believes, based on nomination, that you would make a great deacon. Um, Are you willing to serve in that capacity? Um, the second thing, so motivated, responsible, a person should be responsible in the eyes of the elders in the current deacon body, having demonstrated a mature and willing spirit to accomplish tasks that were previously assigned to that individual prior to them becoming a deacon. You may nominate some people and you may think these people would be great. We may look at the names and say, we've tried to give these individuals things and they always drop the ball. They don't come through. So we may have experience with that individual to where we would say. They're not the best person to serve in this capacity right now because we've tried to give them some responsibility and they haven't followed through with that. So individuals that are responsible and then individuals that are capable. A person should be demonstrating the type of exemplary lifestyle that would allow the members of this church to rightly follow their example of service and properly receive their provision of need. You may not have insight that the elders have. So we said that we want your feedback because you may have insight that we don't have, but we may have insight that you don't have. We may have an individual who is being uh, counseled by the elders because of sin issues in their life. They are responsive. They are repentant. Therefore, it has not come to the church's attention following the Matthew 18 principle. They are repentant. They are working through those issues. You may not be aware of that. And so, for us to not move forward with them being a deacon is based on our knowledge of where they're at in their personal walk. But you may not know that. And we're certainly not going to broadcast that to you before we do nominations. Hey, Don't nominate this person. They're in counseling with the elders for this sin issue. They're not qualified right now. Obviously, that's not helpful at all. So there's a screening process for the elders to kind of look through these names. We also want to make sure that um, it's not a situation where it's strictly by popular vote. Right? We don't believe that it should simply be whoever gets the most nominations. Um, We do believe that there needs to be a healthy... Um, admittance by a lot of people that they should be a deacon, though. Um, And so we did say that if we're asking for four nominations from everybody, you need to at least be nominated by four different people for us to then come back and present you to the church as a possible deacon. Um, The reason we said four is because we want four total we said that you need to have four nominations because we have three elders and we wanted to make sure that there was never a perception that the elders were the only ones that voted for this individual. Therefore the elders rigged the vote kind of thing. Okay. So four nominations, you have to have four nominations by other people to even be uh, put into the screening process. Okay. Um, we also felt like going back to why we believe it's, it's healthy for you to provide feedback. one, act six. Secondly, though, we talked about recently how we have a responsibility with each other to stir each other up to good works. I would never want somebody to not be put into the position of a deacon because they personally didn't feel like they were qualified or would make a good deacon, because what they may need is simply the encouragement and the affirmation of others that helps stir them up to those good works. And so we felt like it's a healthy model for you to identify people and to help stir them up to good works, if we just relied on people saying, "Hey, if you want to be a deacon, come let us know, and then we 'll consider you for that." You run into what i what I heard um, Rob talking about you may have that overzealous, ambitious guy who just wants to come in and swoop in and get his hands into everything, and it may not be healthy for the church sometimes your most valuable deacons are the ones that don't initiate it, right? That that don't see themselves. They want to kind of stay behind the scenes, and they want to keep serving without bringing a lot of recognition to themselves. And so um, I think that it's healthy for others to help stir up the good works in other people. So the elders would work through that. We would then present with you the four people uh, based on our evaluation, based on the nominations who we believe uh, can serve in this capacity. Um, So out of the individuals, that's step three. Um, Out of those individuals nominated, we would present you the four. Um, We would then give you two weeks to share any concerns you have with us. So maybe somebody slips through the screening process and you have some valid reasons as to why this would not be good for our church. You have two weeks to bring that to the elders' attention. Um, We will make ourselves available to have those discussions with you. Um, We welcome that feedback, but after two weeks, if there's no concerns raised, then we would install them as deacons so it would not be put to a vote. We handle all of our votes this way where we present you with something, we give you time to give us feedback. Um, A lack of feedback is a vote of yes for us. And so um, anytime we've presented elders for installation, anytime we've presented the budget to you, we've gotten very little feedback, if any feedback at all. And so we've always just moved forward based on that lack of feedback, that lack of concern. And so we would kind of do the same thing here. Here's your deacons. Here's what what you nominated. Here's who kind of we brought through the screening process. Um, These are the four that we believe would serve our church best right now. Anybody have any issues with this, please come talk to us in the next two weeks so that we can work through those concerns. They may be valid concerns, um, and we would want to work through those. Um, If not, though, then we would move forward with them serving. Um, I'm not going to go through uh, some of these more uh, finite, minute details, but there's some things here about the service of the elders, a deacon, or a deacon, uh, a deacon resigning, a deacon being removed if necessary. The expectations of that person, though, would be a supporting presence. Um, they support the ministry of the elders. Um, they are a serving presence, meaning they do take an active role in setting an example of what it looks like to serve here in our church. So we would expect that they would be involved um, on some level in the ministries that our church offers. And then ultimately a unifying presence, um, individuals who can help uh, identify and resolve opportunities for discord in our church and help the elders work through those issues to preserve the unity of our church um function of the uh, function of the deacons uh they would meet together quarterly um, at other scheduled times when needed with the elders for the purpose of budget review and development member care and benevolence guidance towards the resolution of any church related issues so this would be a time for a deacon to come to us and say hey There's this issue. These people are feeling this. How can we work to resolve this? The elders would then give guidance to the deacons. The elders would not take on the responsibility of resolving it. We would help guide you if you were confused as to how to resolve it as a deacon. Um, And then added wisdom regarding any church-related decisions. I think we brought the deacons in for help when we were talking about moving from the Freeman Sasser to here um, and taking on the financial burden of having to pay a lot more for our rent. Um, That's the type of thing where we bring the deacons in to get some added wisdom. Um, Serving as deacons, the deacon body serves the elders in this body of believers by maintaining a lifestyle consistent with the standards of God's word, participating regularly and faithfully in the activities of the church, taking an active role in serving within the ministries of the church, leading a monthly C group for the males, communicating regularly with the members of the C group to stay updated on the spiritual and physical needs of each family. So we would ask that our deacons kind of stay in tune with people in their C group as to ways that we can help serve and meet needs that maybe we're not aware of, and then assisting the elders in meeting those needs that arise. And then that last statement that I was sharing earlier, the authority of the deacons, the deacon body answers directly to the elders and yields final authority regarding church related matters to them as the shepherds of this local church. Oversight and final decision making for the church's ministry operations and finances fall to the elders rather than the deacon body. That's based on scripture as well, that Ultimately, we believe that we have to give an account for your souls. And so we are not asking the deacons to resume to assume that level of responsibility. We reserve that for elders. It's part of becoming an elder. It's agreeing to take on that responsibility. Um, And so we will take uh, we will take responsibility for the final decision making to protect our deacons um, because we've not asked them to play that role. Okay, Um, any thoughts or feedback that you want to share? Um, that's the that's the final part of that document. Anything you'd like to share this morning? As always, you can always reach out to us individually. About how you do the nomination process. I think with the, the elders like having board, especially in a smaller church, that might be hard. And so maybe. Eliminating the elders nominating, as you're then going into reviewing and, in some ways, detailing them as well may mm-hmm. also help. And then maybe lower the count of three, so essentially to have more people than you guys are evaluating. Right. Yep. Might make it harder. Ask you for that. That might be kind of. No, sir. All right, we'll mull on that a little bit. Um feel free to to offer feedback. Like I said, we we welcome that because of how um because of the lack of clarity as to how to actually implement this. We want to do what's healthy for our church and we certainly realize that there's wisdom here that we can um allow to assist us in this. All right, uh, just a couple things that I want to share with you um, in addition to this as we continue to work about application um, for all of these things. um, A discussion on evangelism and hospitality. Going back to uh, what we uh, talked about in regards to a church that plants. We talked about being a church that welcomes our visitors, um, that reaches out to the lost, and then we're training the faithful so that we have leadership that we can then allow us to plant other churches. In the midst of that discussion, we talked about the word was being spoken to non-believers in a non-church setting, and believers were sharing with believers. Those were the two identifying marks that we saw that were the key to the New Testament growth of the church in the book of Acts. Um, You had the word being spoken outside of the church walls, faithfully, consistently. People were coming to Christ because of that. And then when they came to be a part of the church, what they found were believers sharing with other believers. Um, So two Uh, elements that I think were really important to the growth of that church. Um, We desire to be a church, we said, that is known for pursuing the lost, welcoming the visitor, training the faithful, resulting in the establishment of new churches through the relocation of our members. We talked about why people visit our church. Uh, We said that I want you to start seeing visitors through this type of lens, that people come to our church unless they're coming with somebody. And even then, a lot of times this is the case. But Somebody that walks into our church, they are walking in because they have relocated to this area. They had a change at their current church that they don't agree with. Um, something that that has happened, there's been a change in direction, a change in philosophy, a change in doctrine. And so they're now looking for a different place to be. Uh, there's been a change inside of them, but not at their current church. So in their own personal studies and beliefs, they've had a change about philosophy or vision or doctrine that's not consistent with their local church. Um, Or they've been hurt by their church. So maybe there hasn't been anything that's changed at their church. Maybe they haven't developed a new belief system. But they have been hurt by something at their church, and they can't stay there because of that hurt. Um, And so when you think about those reasons for why people walk in our doors, it ought to make us very attuned to the fact that hospitality should be a key component of our Sunday mornings when people are visiting. Um, Oftentimes we find people visiting in in droves, it seems like. Like We can go for weeks without having any visitors, and then you look up and there's three or four families that are visiting all at one time, which is also a need for us in the area of deacons to help assist when we have four new families that visit all at one time. It's almost impossible for the elders to meet and greet and talk with all of those families on a given Sunday morning, to know that we have other people that are gonna participate in that hospitality. Um, You know, another question that I'm asking in regards to this for us what will people experience at our church when they come? Um, a group of people that have been here for a long time, right? There's been a lot of us that are here since the very beginning. People that visit may have feelings that it's difficult to incorporate and to become a part of our group because our group is is close-knit and we've been here for a long time. Um, that presents some challenges that, that we've got to make sure we are communicating that there is room for more here at Sovereign Hope. If we're not careful... We are comfortable with who we are and we're comfortable with our friendships here and we're not looking to add more people. And what we have to keep in mind is that we're wanting to ship people out of here to a new location to plant a new church and you're going to want strong relationships to go with you. Um, So thinking in terms of evangelism, number one, the word being spoken to non-believers in a non-church setting and then number two, believers sharing with believers. I want to turn our intention to both of those two topics here as we wrap up today number one what is our view on evangelism at sovereign hope If we're talking about the word being spoken and people coming to christ how do we view evangelism here at sovereign hope church because we don't invite you guys to come in twos to do door-to-door evangelism here right like we don't have that built into our ministry structure here so what is our expectation? How do we interpret and, and and encourage evangelism here at Sovereign Hope Church? The answer to that question, we have always believed that evangelism is best accomplished outside of our normal church activities. All right? Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. I'm going to give you a couple of passages if you want to turn to them here. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. Jesus talking and he says In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. All right. Jesus talking about this idea here, this mindset that our lifestyle, how we live, uh, the good works that we're involved in outside of Sunday mornings. It's meant to draw people to Christ. Now, I've shared with you before. I don't think just being a good citizen, a good individual brings people to Jesus. Because in order for them to glorify God, they have to know the God that you worship to give proper glory to him. So it necessitates there being communication by you that part of the reason I do the things that I do is because of the change that Christ has made in my life. Right. So this ought to be infused into every corner of our life, wherever we work, our neighborhoods, our hobbies. And I know it's not easy and it's not easy for me. And this is an area that I still have to grow in. Um, but what we see in scripture is that how we live outside of Sundays is meant to draw people to Jesus. It's meant to, to draw them to him in a way that they end up glorifying him in a passage that we talked about recently in our C groups, first Peter chapter two, uh, verse nine through 17. We were talking about the, the topic of politics Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Again, this idea that how we're living, how we're saying no to sin and yes to righteousness is meant to draw people to Jesus. But then he goes on, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Again, this idea that even how we submit ourselves to the authorities over us. And we talked in our group that night how we talk about candidates that are pursuing the presidency. It's very hard to trash on a candidate at work leading up to the elections have that person then get elected and then try to implement what scripture talks about being submitted to the authorities that are over you granted candidates aren't necessarily over you right now but certainly the perception that you give off leading up to their election it may be hard to backtrack once they become the president based on things that you've said and how you've acted leading up to that Peter says the way that we interact, the way that we talk about, the way that we submit ourselves is meant to be evangelistic. It's meant to draw people to Christ. It's meant to silence their talk against us. It's meant to result in the glorification of God on the day of visitation. So for us here at Sovereign Hope, if we're going to be a church that really pursues the lost. We believe that evangelism is best accomplished outside normal church activities, which means we're not going to schedule evangelism for you. All right. We believe that the more we teach and the more we call you to this, the more this should happen as an overflow of your life. You love Jesus. You view him as precious and you want to communicate that to people in your life, where you work, where you live. How can we improve upon this? Um, Two ways. One, I think we've got to target lost individuals in our life or opportunities in your life to reach out and establish relationships with lost people. Because I'm not going to discount the fact that that some of you might sit here and say, I got to be honest with you, I don't really know lost people. I've surrounded myself where I work. um, I've surrounded myself. The people that I know, the people I have relationships with right now, they're all Christians or they all go to church somewhere. Well, you've got opportunities in your life to reach out to lost people, even if you don't know them currently. I don't know that anybody in here lives in a Christian commune, right? Like, all of us live around people that are not believers, whether it's a neighborhood, apartment complex. There are people there that don't know Jesus. You may not know them to target them right now, but you do have opportunities to to reach out and to get to know lost people. Um, that mindset has to change for us if we're going to be a church that grows. Without it solely being adding believers that come from other churches. All right. That, that's not our goal. Our goal isn't to just bring in new uh new church members that came from other churches and then plant more churches because all we're doing is relocating members. We're not planting new churches. We're just relocating people that were going to church already. Number two, take advantage of all the activities and events that take place outside of our church building by inviting lost people to join you, all right? For those of you that this is really challenging, you're not great at being open with your faith. We do provide enough opportunities here to where you can invite lost people in a non-threatening situation, not into this building, right? We do very little in this building beyond Sundays. Most everything we do is in the community, in people's houses, in restaurants, in other locations. It, invi- it, it gives you the opportunity, it affords you the opportunity to invite people to be a part of what we're doing, to put them around other people, to maybe increase your comfort level with speaking to them about spiritual things. All right, so being a church that's known for pursuing the lost, welcoming the visitor, training the faithful. We've talked this morning about training the faithful, what it looks like to implement deacons. We're talking now about pursuing the lost. Let's kind of go in the middle there, welcoming the visitor. What does it look like to be hospitable here at our church? What is our view on hospitality at Sovereign Hope? Um, I hope you know and I hope you understand that Scripture talks a lot about hospitality and being known for hospitality as believers. The answer is we have chosen to limit our required church schedule in order to enable members to show hospitality freely. And I got to confess to you, we're reading in the book of Acts as elders at our at our meeting this, this past week. We're talking about the fact that in Acts, there are people that felt left out of the church that felt disconnected. We're talking about the fact that that's very possible that that would happen here at our church, that people would feel disconnected, especially with our light schedule, right? We meet once a week on Sundays. We meet once a month with our C groups. We have men's and women dinners every other month. It's conceivable that somebody could miss those because they're so infrequent and go a couple of months without really connecting with people in our church, especially those that have uh, rotating and varying schedules. It could be very possible for them to miss uh, their men's or women's dinner that month, which means they're gonna have to wait another two months to come back to it. They could potentially miss C group that month and really have only had opportunity four times in the month to connect with church people. And so we talked as, at this last elders meeting, maybe we need to beef up our schedule. Maybe we need to start meeting twice a month as small groups. Maybe we need to start having some additional services and some, some additional things. And And what we felt like is that as soon as we start to do that, We limit the participation because what we've said is that based on our schedules and based on people where they live and where they're located, they can't come to all this stuff. And so we kind of went back to this mindset. We've chosen to do it this way to enable you to give the power to you to connect with people in our church based on when it works for your schedule, to freely and openly be hospitable having people into your homes, scheduling activities with people in our church to connect with uh, based on your schedule. Um, A couple of passages that I wanna draw your attention to in regards to why this is important. First of all, Matthew 25, when Jesus says he shows back up to to divide the sheep and the goats, part of the criteria is, is that the people that are over here that are followers of him are people that demonstrated hospitality, right? They're people that took care of people, that reached out to people, that met needs, that visited people. So, it's definitely a hallmark, a, 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 a tag point for what a Christian even is, right? Um, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. Paul talks about seeking out ways to do this, being creative, I think. 1 Timothy 3 2, um, it's part of the. Uh, requirements for being an elder, that you're an individual who is known for hospitality. You see that also in Titus chapter 1 verse 8. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, they're trying to incorporate and trying to understand how to minister to widows in their church, right? Um, How do we make sure that we're taking care of the right ones? In 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 10, and I feel like this is real similar to what we're even trying to do with deacons here. They're trying to put parameters and trying to put in place some things that make it healthy for their church. It says in verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation of good works. So they're even talking about who do we enroll in the distribution of, of things from our church to these widows. Well, they have to be a certain age. And he goes on to explain why, because there's a good chance they're going to get married again. Um, And then if they reach this age, maybe there's a good chance they don't. And so they become the responsibility of the church and the church wants to reach out and help them. But part of the qualification is if she has brought up children and has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. Talking about these character traits, it's an individual who's known for hospitality. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I wish this passage talked more about this and the reasoning as to why we would ever have angels come into our presence with a need for us to show hospitality to them. I don't know. We've joked before as elders, because there have been people that have visited our church, that were some of the most solid people we've ever talked to or met, and then we don't see them ever again. And it's like, Either we did a poor job of welcoming them, or maybe they were an angel because they were unbelievable from a, from a solid scriptural standpoint. They came in one week, and then they were gone the next, and we never heard from them again, couldn't reach them, couldn't contact them, uh, couldn't follow up with them. Um, I don't know, but there's certainly this this element, this mindset here that we should not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because sometimes we may be in, in contact with spirit, with the spiritual realm in doing so. Um, in First Timoth- or First Peter chapter 4, the last one, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, this mindset that our flesh may war against this mindset, and we're to show hospitality without grumbling to each other. How do we do this at our church? How can we improve upon this? What are some things that you can do immediately? Three things. First of all, focus on your C group. I think sometimes we forget why we even call them C groups. They're called C groups because they're supposed to be a place for connection. Going back to that that lost mindset, it's supposed to be a place where you could potentially invite somebody to come and join you that you know doesn't follow Jesus to get them connected to other believers and get them connected to the gospel and to our church. It's also a place where you're supposed to experience community. That's why our accountability groups are meant to be a part of our C groups. It's also a way where we can keep track of the needs of our church and help meet those needs and demonstrate compassion. All right. So thinking in terms of, okay, if I'm going to be a person that shows hospitality, I want to first show it and demonstrate it to people in my C group. Secondly, attending connecting points is a priority in your life. We've set up connecting points because we do have a light schedule. We've tried to space out the other things that we offer as a church. We've got man-up breakfasts on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. That doesn't work for some people. So we have men's dinner nights. We have women's dinner nights. We have a couple date nights. We've got different events that take place throughout the year that we do every year. Um, And so prioritizing those, realizing that we don't do a ton of stuff, we don't fill up your calendar with church activities in hopes that you'll prioritize when we do schedule things. And then number three, Take advantage of your already busy schedule by inviting others to join you in the activities you are already planning to do. Because when we talk about hospitality, sometimes that feels very overwhelming. On top of everything else that I'm doing, Adam's saying that I should have people over to my house and I should try to schedule things with people outside of our normal church activities. When am I supposed to do that? Do the things that you're already doing. Just invite people to do them with you. So that you're connecting with people and you're strengthening relationships with the people that are already here, especially people that are new to our church. And it's as simple as getting on the city and saying that you're going to Bass Pro. And does anybody want to come along with you? Right. I'm trying to model that for you right now. Okay. I'm planning to go to Bass Pro, whether anybody was going or not. I would have loved for anybody that wanted to to go along with me. Nobody did. But again, I was going whether anybody was going or not. Okay, so I said, hey, this would be a great time to connect and ride with somebody and talk with somebody on the way to Bass Pro, and we can spend the day together. I posted on the city, next Thursday night, our family's going to be in downtown Noonan for Taste of Noonan. We would love to have anybody in our church participate with us and show up in downtown Noonan and sample the foods and and enjoy the evening with us. Because we're already planning to do it. There are things that you are already planning to do And you can show hospitality and you can show a desire to connect and you can show inclusion with other people in our church by simply inviting them to do what you're already planning to do. The benefit of that is that if nobody shows up again, you were already planning to do it so you don't have to alter your plans. You don't have to change your plans because nobody showed up at the event that you tried to plan at your house. I want you to think in these terms, because if we're going to be a church that really welcomes new people We've got to be known for hospitality. Uh, And and I would think, too, that we want deacons in place that are known for this type of activity, that are known for including people and reaching out to people, because if they're going to assist and be helpful in promoting unity, they certainly need to be people that are uh, intentional about reaching out to people in their church and and including people in what they're already doing and and being very hospitable uh, with their time and their resources. All right. So, again, heavy application today. It's going to be heavy application again next week. Uh, We're going to get back to Genesis. I promise you. I think being a part of a church this size and being a part of a church plant, it affords us to where we don't have to be boxed in to think, Okay, give me the next sermon. All right. We don't want to just give you the next sermon every week. We want you to apply what we're talking about. Um, Deacons are going to be huge for our church moving forward. If we're going to be healthy and if we're going to plant more churches, we've got to have it. We've got to have it, and we've got to have it in a way that's healthy for our church. So we're trying to spend a lot of time talking about it. Um, we've got to be a church, though, that's reaching out to the lost and demonstrating hospitality to people that come here, or else we're going to have people that just kind of cycle in and out and say, you know what, that church really is content being small. They're content loving on each other, but they're not willing to welcome new people. Um, it starts with a mindset change that if you're here and you're a member, the expectation now is that you're part of the answer to being hospitable to new people that come. Um, and doing your part to include and to build relationships so that we can send people out and plant more churches. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you for uh, just the opportunity to step back and to once again uh, consider and to contemplate and to meditate on how we can implement what we're seeing in your word. Um, God, we want to be a place where we can appoint people to serve uh, and to assist the elders to be an example of what service in this church looks like, uh, to be promoters of unity, to help the elders see and identify needs that, uh, that aren't coming to the elders' attention. Um, God, we want to be able to, to serve and to meet needs, but we have to know about them. And so, God, we want the additional eyes and the additional ears and the additional wisdom that can come from adding deacons to our, our church family. Um, so, God, give us wisdom and insight as we continue to move forward in that direction. God, I pray that we would be faithful to, uh, to have an evangelistic mindset. Um, And not wait upon the church to schedule activities that reach out to lost people. Instead, God, I pray that we would see ourselves as uh, people that go to workplaces and neighborhoods and apartment complexes. To where we interact with people that are not saved. Or at least have the opportunity to. Um, God, I pray that we'd be faithful to target those individuals in our life that we know don't follow Christ. That we'd put ourselves around them. We'd be hospitable to them. That we would invite them into our lives, so they can see our good works, so they can see our changed mindset, so they can ultimately give glory to you. And God, I pray that we would be a church that is showing care and hospitality to each other. That we're being intentional, and we're not waiting for the skirt the, for the church to schedule it, but instead we're we're being mature and taking our own responsibility to reach out and to develop relationships with people in this church, so that as new people come. They get included very quickly. God, we desire that. We want that. We pray for that. Realizing that it's going to take a full-on group effort to achieve that. So we ask for the grace to be able to accomplish these things ultimately because we want to see new people. We want to see new people in your kingdom, people that are there to glorify you uh, when they weren't previously uh, going to do so. And so while we, we love when people come to our church that are already saved and have already been a part of other churches, We long for an increase in people that are coming because of efforts by our church members to reach out to them and to show them love and hospitality. To show them the gospel so that we can plant more churches because there's a need to because your kingdom is growing and not just transplanting to a new location. We praise you and thank you for the work you're doing in our life and in our church. We ask that you would continue those things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.